Want to know why your interiors or images don't look like the ones you see on your favorite social media feeds? What if I said I could let you know and show you what's missing and how to transform your spaces with clarity and confidence? The truth is creating beautiful interiors is simple when you know the right strategies, but most people go about it the wrong way. This is why I created the Styling Masterclass. It's the only program that simplifies the art and science of styling, giving you the clarity and confidence to take your interiors to the next level and attract your dream customers or clients so you can make your creative dreams finally possible. This is for you if you're an interior designer or photographer, have an Airbnb, a homeware shop or e-commerce business, and you want your interiors to look like the ones you see in your favorite books, magazines or Instagram accounts. Come learn how to style using my signature method so you can elevate any interior and create compelling imagery, which is your most effective marketing tool if you're selling a product or service in the world of interiors. Any successful business owner knows that styling is your secret weapon to cut through the visual noise, stand out from the crowd and grow your business. Styling is something that you don't want to leave to chance. In today's world, images are everything. This is why leading interior designers and architects always use stylists to finesse their spaces for photography to make sure they've got incredible imagery that they can use for their socials and website. Come learn how to make styling not only an essential element, an easy way to create content for your socials and websites, but learn how it can propel the growth of your creative business. If you're serious about creating beautiful interiors and a business you love without struggling in obscurity, this is the program for you. I'm going to share my process and give insights that you're not going to get anywhere else because I've been working as a professional interior stylist for the past 15 years. The Styling Masterclass will give you that clarity and confidence you need to take action and connect with your dream customer or client so you can make your creative dreams possible. Go to nataliewalton.com forward slash next level to learn more and enroll now. Enrollments are open for only a short time. So please, if you're interested and you're ready to take your interiors to the next level, go to nataliewalton.com forward slash next level. Welcome to Imprint, a podcast about creating a home and life you love. I'm Natalie Walton, an interior designer, stylist, and best-selling author focused on a holistic approach to homes. Each week, I'm sharing insights and interviews about the creative process to help you enhance both your interiors and well-being, as well as provide you with the tools and resources to make considered and sustainable choices with all that you create. If you'd like to have more calm and order in your home every day and finally declutter all the stuff that's holding you back, come join the Decluttering Masterclass, where you will join a 21-day decluttering challenge and learn the methods that I use in my own home to control clutter and stay organized. This is the last time the course will be offered at this introductory price. Join today at nataliewalton.com forward slash declutter. Hello everyone. I'm very excited to share today's interview with you. It's actually my first repeat guest and I 
couldn't wait to have Jodie back on the podcast because she is such a beautiful soul and has such a grounding presence. And I just always feel better after I speak to her. Her name is Jodie Wilson, and she has come back onto the podcast to talk about her book, Practicing Simplicity, Small Steps and Brave Choices for a Life Less Distracted. It really is a beautiful book. In our first interview, we spoke about her caravan trip around Australia with her family, and she went through a big process of decluttering all her possessions and, and really kind of evaluating what she wanted out of life. Well, today's conversation is about what happens next, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. Thank you so much for joining me today, Jody. It's so nice to, to see your face and um, to connect with you again. It's been a little while. The world has been a crazy, crazy place over these past couple of years, and um I've really enjoyed this past weekend. I've read through your book and I've enjoyed being in your, your world and reading your words. It's, it's been really beautiful. And actually, one of the things I was thinking about this morning as I was sort of preparing for you know, this interview and, and thinking about your book and your words is that after reading your book, I felt really grounded again, which I know is something that you talk about in the book, about being grounded in nature and in yourself. And it's a really beautiful reminder to reconnect with the things that help you and that really help you connect with yourself and what's important in your life. Now, we have spoken before, and I was curious, I guess one of the big things when I, when I grabbed a copy of your book was that it wasn't quite what I was expecting. Obviously, I knew that you had done this big caravan trip around Australia. I knew, you know, you'd sort of, it'd been for a long time and, you know, we had spoken that previously, but it's not really a book about traveling around Australia, is it? And I was curious why you took that approach. Can you share that with us? Yeah, it's, um, that's a lovely response, actually. And I, I do feel really chuffed when people say, this really isn't what I was expecting. Um, and a lot of people have been expecting a how-to guide to travel. Um, and it's instead of that, it, it's prose. And I suppose when I was on the road and when it came time to write a book, I knew that I was never going to write a memoir because who am I to write a memoir and what, what would I be saying? And instead, I really started to realise both on the road and, and that really, I really was able to um, make a lot of sense of the lessons I'd learned on the road when I sat down to write, was that everything I did learn while I was travelling and living in a caravan was not dependent on me travelling and living in a caravan. Um, and they were very much universal lessons that applied to anyone, regardless of whether they lived in the tallest buildings in the most urban settings or rurally on an acreage or in a town in suburbia. Um, and I also knew that the majority of people that read my book um, at, don't have any plans to pack up their life and travel Australia in a caravan. And perhaps many of those people could not think of anything worse than living in a caravan with five other people for two and a half years. So um, I've got a really long-standing readership from blogging. 
since 2008. And as a creative and as a writer, it I really did think about my readers when I was writing and it really helped me. I kind of wanted to feel like I was having a conversation with you and that I wasn't telling you what to do. Um, and I have, I have a really strong sense of my readers and, and where they are in life and, and I think what we all need to hear now or what we all want to read. And so I realised that the most pertinent lessons that I learned on the road, which was, and, and I suppose the last few years and, and that universal uncertainty that we've all been faced with has really, really forced us to realise that all we can really do is plan for today. We, can we make plans for the next week or the next month? Yes, we can. Um, do we know that they're certain? No, we don't. And so we really do have to focus on today um, and ultimately find comfort and joy and grounding in connecting with those that we love and connecting with the earth that we stand on. So, um, yeah, that was that was the process and it was you know, the writing process, I, I loved it and I hated it. And um, it was um, beautiful and intense and I doubted myself um, a lot of the time. But I also knew that, that there, was, there was lessons that I'd learnt that I didn't, um, that, you know, weren't reliant on me just living in a caravan and I thought that was worth sharing. Hmm. I, I want to do want to talk to you about this writing process because I you know I write books as well and and certainly for my first book finding my voice as a writer in a book format was really really challenging knowing that this book was going to live on hopefully for many years to come and knowing I guess in some ways who I was talking to, but also you're, you're putting yourself in a position where you're, you're sharing your viewpoint on something. And I mean, you even say in the book, you know, I'm not going to nag you or something along those lines. And, um, which, you know, even just saying something like that is a, is, you know, it's quite a, a friendly conversational tone, um, and getting that tone right, but also, I, you know, I notice obviously there's times where you, you pose questions for the reader to think about. So you are really establishing a relationship with that reader. It's not just, well, this is what happened and this was my experience, but you're really encouraging the reader to reflect upon themselves. And I, I mean, I tried to do that with my first book and I found that really quite hard as a writer to do that. So like, who am I to to sort of encourage people to do this or to put myself in that position of authority in some way, I guess. Was that something that you struggled with or how, I know that obviously you've got lots of experience with blogging and writing and, um, you know, we spoke last time about Instagram even and just writing captions and how you keep that conversational tone. So I imagine probably for you that wasn't the hard part, but I am curious about sort of almost changing your position in relation to the reader as somebody with a little bit of authority? Yeah, that's a really good question. And it's something I was very, very consciously aware of because I did not want to be a simplicity guru or a martyr. And I 
don't believe that I have any right to tell anyone else what they should be doing. And my life and the choices I've made are definitely not better than the choices or the life that my that my readers have created for themselves. Um, and I suppose the only criticism that I've received over the years as a blogger is that um, I come across sometimes as a little bit self-righteous, which was really hard to hear um, but also really constructive because it really made me, I suppose, ground my writing um, in, a, in more reality and I think that, that really plays into that highlight reel um, of Instagram and because also my photos are such a big part of the book and of of my Instagram um, and I do really love to share beauty and and beautiful moments and gorgeous landscapes um, and so I was very aware that if I was going to share the highlight reel of my photos then I really did have to make sure that I was incredibly honest about the challenge and the struggle and the fear and the doubt of my personal journey on the road um and I'm really you know I'm a perfectionist I've had to really over the years unravel that as a mother and a woman and a creative because I realized that it was constricting me instead of allowing me that freedom in all those areas of my life um and I think it comes back to the fact that simplicity itself is something that I consider an attitude and a mindset. It's not an end goal. It's not something to be completed. And I think that is the crux of it, that I'm talking about my, my experiences, the lessons I've learned, learned and the journey that I'm on, and that's ongoing. I haven't – there's nothing been particularly achieved even though I have realised a lot of things. And – I think um, I just had to keep coming back to that in the writing process and just continually ask myself, what am I trying to say and what is this book? It was a piece of advice I was given very early on from Lou Johnson, who at the time was the publishing director at Murdoch Books. She said, you have to constantly ask yourself, what is this book? And that really helped guide me because at the start I didn't know what it was what it was or what it was going to be and that was so daunting to be sitting there knowing that I had to get to this word count and not knowing what the book would be and I really had to trust that it was going to come together and there were some days that I had a huge amount of doubt and I might have got one sentence on the page but those days were also really crucial and I've this is the one major lesson that's come out of writing this book as a as a writer is that sometimes your most productive days aren't the words that get on the page but they're just sitting in stillness and quiet and letting thoughts marinate and allowing yourself to process thoughts and also reading a lot of different um, a lot of different work and, and, and it might not be related at all to what you're writing but I think those days 
I, I used to sit in those days very anxiously thinking there is nothing happening here, but I've come now onto the other side and, and realise that those days are really, really crucial to my writing process. And it was such a joy and it was exhilarating to have those days when I would see the threads coming together those, you know, they were connecting, they were starting to connect and um, they, I think they're the days that you live for as a writer when those themes that you're writing about individually, they find themselves connecting through the chapters and and that was, yeah, that's, I think perhaps that's the joy that we all um, as writers chase <laughs> um, and sometimes it takes longer than others but I feel like, um I got there in the end. And that the second half of the final chapter, um, I connected something that my daughter says with something that um, Anne Patchett said in a speech um, that she made. And it, it was just, yeah, it was just a really golden creative moment. But, yeah, I just I kept my reader in mind and I, I maintained my ground um, as a person when I was writing the book because no one wants to pick up a book and be told what to do or how to do it and that the way that they're doing things in their life is wrong. Um, and I really reiterate that in the book as well in that um, I, I really encourage people to make decisions that are good and right for them, which might not be the decisions that are good and right for the next reader. Um, and, yeah. Yeah, and look, by no means am I trying to sort of say that you're trying to position yourself as a guru or anything like that, but I do think that there is this space and it's the same with people who perhaps have some kind of, you know, little creative business on Instagram and they're trying to share what they're passionate about because there's definitely this point where you kind of need to stop talking about I did this and I did that today and da 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 because it's like, well, other people don't necessarily care just what I, 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 I did, you know, and mm. which I guess could be in some ways if you wrote the book in a very different way, which could be about, you know, and then we went here and then we did this and then, you know what I mean? Like it's it's not necessarily related to to the reader, you know, the reader can't connect necessarily to that. But, and you do share, you know, in a very honest and authentic way about your st story and the struggles that you have had with finding that simplicity in your life. But I think also there's a beautiful moment when someone, whether it's in a book or whether it's, you know, with their business or whether it's the way that they show up on social media or whatever it is, and can just turn and turn the cogs just a little bit, like the positioning a little bit so that you're, I guess, serving in a way, you know, that whole thing about, I know, you know, we spoke last time about in the ashram and, um, you know, monks serve, you know, they're there to, you know, serve and help people. And so you're trying to help people, not saying that your way is the only way or, you're the, you know, what you have learned is, you know, the, you know, the last word on this matter, but that you're trying to help people go through maybe what they're experiencing as well. So I just thought it was, yeah, it's a really, it's a tricky thing to navigate sometimes when you're sort of making that that shift in terms of how you connect with people. So I just, as a writer and a creative, I was just really curious about that process. Um, no, and it's, and it's like, it's such a good question because it played on my mind constantly and I knew that I did not want to write a book 
that was a how-to guide or a um or a you know this is my way or the highway you know style so um and I, it's really interesting that you say that because I think we need to remember as creatives and or as business people when we're in that social media sphere that people are following us for a reason and we really need to believe that they enjoy following us and, and I, I do talk about even the distraction of social media in the book and um, that I am the distractor like I can't I can't talk badly about Instagram and and you know the scrolling mentality and how detrimental it is um, because I distract people and and that's an interesting way of thinking about um, about your role on social media regardless of what that is is do you want to distract people in a positive way or do you want to distract them in a negative way? And, and you know, they're already distracted by you, so perhaps give them something that is a benefit to them and not um, a curse. Yeah, no, beautiful. So I'm just curious what, um, I mean, you mentioned a couple of books and, and authors. Um, who, which books inspired you while you were writing this? Or which authors? Annie Dillard, The Writing Life. Um, and I actually quoted her in the book in that um, she says, the way we spend our days is the way we spend our lives. Um, and that really, it res- it's re- that quote's resonated with me for such a long time because I think we all have grand plans for what we want from our life, but we lose sight of the fact that it, it, we just have to start where we are with what we have and, and that's right right here, how we're living right now. Um, And I think it's a beautiful quote in regards to motherhood as well. Um, Anne Patchett, I wrote a lot, I read a lot of her work, Anne Lamott as well, these are all Anne's. Um, Lisa Solnit, um, she's got some beautiful work, and Alif Shafak as well, who is a, um, I think she's a Syrian writer. Clover Stroud, whose memoirs are so rich and um, she really accesses her most vulnerable self when she's writing. Um, And I don't think, well, I can't say that, but I definitely have not reached that level of vulnerability as a creative, but um, it's incredibly inspiring. Uh, And then I just read a lot of fiction as well and, um, and, I read things like gardening memoirs and um, there was a gardening member and I can't for the life of me. And these are things that I just picked off the library shelf because we were living in the caravan and so I couldn't have a lot of books uh, with me. So I um, I wrote a lot of the, the this book in the library and, uh, you know, when I felt like I needed to stretch my legs, I would just get up and I'd browse the shelves and I'd just stumble upon these books. So it was a very, um, yeah, I found them very intuitively and um, sometimes I feel like they found me because they were just what I needed to read at the time. Um, But this gardening member that I I read was about um, this political journalist who lives in Sydney and she's got a very small garden and it was just this tiny memoir about, um, about the seasons and her garden and her life and it was just really beautiful and it, and it was it was a conversation with the reader and and perhaps that that really planted the seed for my own um, approach to 
writing a conversation. Okay, I've got to ask you one more question about the writing process. As you can see, <laughs> this is like, I'm, I'm fascinated and I love hearing about this. And I'm, I've done one more book since here. Like I'm just in the editing stages of that next book, which was an entirely different process. But I, yeah, interesting. Yeah, because I mean, I wrote most of my first two books in libraries as well. So I can really resonate with that as well. It was the one place that I could kind of have the peace and quiet with having had four children at home. But um. I wanted to ask you about that. So did you did you have a certain time of day that you would try and write? So this is about your writing process. You know, I think carving out time as a mother, as a creative to to actually get it done, to get the work done is can be very, very challenging. How did you go about actually doing that, carving out that time? Was it like you did a certain number of hours a day or did you like do more like in a you know three days and then you would have a break or what was your writing process in that regards to getting it done I did four to six hours a day every day for four months <clears throat> so I had a deadline and um I I just have this creative stubbornness <laughs> that I don't let anything get in the way of and when I'm at the end of the process it's actually quite exhausting but well I I can see that I've I've really put my all into it. Um, but I would often do an hour in the morning before everyone woke up in the caravan. So I'd be typing in the dark of the caravan. And then I'd spend four hours in the library. And then I would often do an hour in the evening or the afternoon. But what was really fascinating to me is that because I was just, I was just, I had dove into this book. I dove into the process and so I'd be like stirring the curry at night and I'd be like, oh, my gosh, there's a sentence and I'd just be and everyone knew that if I was suddenly, if I'd suddenly put like the the wooden spoon down and I was running, like don't interrupt me, <laughs> I've got to get this sentence done. Um, and I just lived and breathed that book for that four solid months um, of writing and it was, I thought about it. When I went to sleep at night, I thought about it when I woke up in the morning. It was everything I thought about. And I, I didn't really do anything else but, but writing and family stuff in those four months because I really, um, yeah, I was very dedicated. And, yeah, I've since done another book and that was a it's been a very different process. It was a much more formulaic process um, and it was a much longer process, but um, that required the same amount of creative stubbornness um, and just downright dedication. And I just leave everything else like, and I, I've been very, very privileged in that Daniel has been a stay-at-home parent. He's been the, the full-time parent which hasn't come without sacrifice either because it means we're living off one small creative income um, and so we have to be frugal. But I also knew that I couldn't I couldn't dive as deep into the writing process. I probably wouldn't have got it done and if I had got it done it would have been a whole lot more stressful if I didn't have him in that role. Um, so, yeah, that was, a, that was a choice we made together and really, really grateful to him for for carving that that space for me 
And did you have to say no to any opportunities during this period? Because I know you in the past have worked with, say, clients where you're doing photo shoots or you're creating content for them or other things. Um, did you have to kind of say no or make any of those decisions along the way? Or do you think because you were in the caravan anyway, you'd already cleared the decks as it were? Yeah, I think so. And because I was in Tasmania, you know, I was writing it at the end of 2020, beginning of 2021. And so COVID was still, you know, very much, it wasn't in Tasmania as much. Our borders were closed. And so there was the freedom here, but elsewhere there wasn't that same freedom. And so, um, well, people weren't reaching out to me for photography. And to be honest, I would have said no anyway, because I just wanted to really dedicate myself to this and um, and get it right because I knew it was a it was a privilege to have the the book contract in the first place um, and I you know in times of anxiety and doubt I just kind of reflected on the gratitude of that um, and I say in the book that anxiety and gratitude kind of can't exist in your mind at the same time um, and that really yeah that was that really helped guide me when I felt like, um, felt like I think you go through pits, well, I go through, you know, phases as a writer or as a, you know, you, you do question your worth as a writer and as a creative and, yeah, it just it's a big process. It's a big personal process, isn't it? Oh, it's I just, have so much risk. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I just know with myself I was so much in my head the whole time about the writing process, who I was writing for, um, and I just agonized over so many of those things and, um, you know, is this good enough? It's not good enough. You know, all of that stuff. And, um, yeah, it's, it's this is a <laughs> shit chapter. This is such a bad chapter. I remember saying that to Daniel and he's like, ah, oh, it's actually quite good. <laughs> no, it's quite good. And I'm like, oh, it's so bad. What was I saying? Um, yeah. yeah. And it's interesting. You know what's fascinating to me is I, I read back some of the book now and I cannot for the life of me remember writing that bit, remember the process to getting to that bit and isn't that that's just fascinating yeah to me that I can't remember writing bits of the book that I've written <laughs> which shows how deep I was in that um in that writing space yeah uh yeah I know it's just anyway I could go on about this for hours but but I won't <laughs> I won't bore everybody with it uh, because there are so many gems in this book and I do want to share some of them now you, there's, oh my gosh, there's, I mean, when I was reading it, I was kind of taking little notes of things that you said, and there's so many beautiful ways you express things. You say, we've all got those dreams tucked away somewhere brewing. And I really think this is a beautiful idea that everyone has a dream. Everyone has a dream inside them that they want to want to do, they want to achieve. And, you know, it comes in many different colors and many different shades and um, you know, it doesn't always have to be something grand, but I think we've all got dreams within us, what we want for our lives and, and for ourselves, you know, I mean, I think particularly for mothers, it's very easy to project onto your children, what you want for your children and the type of childhood that you want for them. But what about you? Like, what do you want? And what's that thing inside you that you've been carrying? And, um, now you made yours happen. And so I'm really 
interested in the fact that, you know, you, I know you said that you've got this kind of little determination in within you, but you also speak about how really for 10 years, you kind of put this idea, your dream off and you, you know, you kind of were riddled with, with anxiety and, and procrastination and, and all sorts of things. So what do you think it was that finally got you to that tipping point where you actually made it happen? It was, so for 10 years, I'd have had a very pr pronounced fear of change. And the tipping point was that my fear of complacency grew bigger than my fear of change. So I realised in that moment, and I, I opened the book with, with the night that we were in the theatre watching my firstborn on the stage. He was doing a play based on Alison Lester's picture book, Are We There Yet?, which is the story of her family's camper van journey around Australia. And my partner, Daniel, turned to me. I had my 11-week-old fourth child on, on my chest and he turned to me and said, we could do that. We could do a road trip around Australia. And it's like my intuition got in before my consciousness did and I said yes. And in the weeks prior to that, there were so many times when I was standing in my kitchen, in my, we were living in a rental in suburbia. Daniel was commuting to Sydney a lot. I was ferrying children to preschool and primary school and I had a new baby and I was trying to answer emails for my freelance writing business and keep the house going. And I just remember thinking, this is not sustainable. This doesn't feel right. If I don't make change soon, we're going to just stay on this path. And it was like I'd wandered so far from the path of what felt good and right for me. And I realised that I just could not stay complacent. And then after I'd said yes to Daniel's suggestion of, you know, selling most of what we owned and buying a caravan and a four-wheel drive and travelling around the country, I realised that if I did not do that, if I didn't follow that idea, that dream through, I would deeply regret it. Um, and I talk a lot about intuition in the book and intuitively I've always felt like I would someday road trip around the country. And in that moment when I was, was tossing up like, this is huge, this is a massive leap of faith, this is going to take all our money to do this, I actually don't know what steps we have to take to get from where we are now, having made this decision, to actually road tripping around the country. Um, and I just remember, and I didn't write about this in the book, and actually you're the first person I've said this to, but I remember thinking if I'm an 80-year-old woman and I look back at this period of my life and I passed this golden pocket of opportunity up, would I regret it? And I knew more than anything that, yes, I would regret not doing this. So that really was my driving force. And, you know, in the eight months between when we made that decision and we drove out of our suburban street towing the caravan, it would have been so much easier not to be doing it. <laughs> it would have been so much easier not to be packing up our lives and spending all our money on a caravan that we knew nothing about and uprooting our children from school and from routine and from grandparents. Um, but 
I just trusted that it was the right decision for us. And so I just took those really small steps, as I say in the book, small steps and brave choices to get to get to the other side. Yeah. And you say um, that we get to write our own story. And I guess, you know, you were very much in that moment writing your own story about what it was going to be um, rather than maybe um, defaulting to, you know, just the status quo of being unhappy or, you know, like just going through the motions, you know what I mean? Like you were actually going from being, um, I guess, maybe reactive to proactive, you know, that sort of state of being, um, you know, you're just going through the motions, just reacting to whatever comes your way in life, you know, oh, we've now got to go and the kids want to do sport, or we've got to go and do this, you know, or there's a performance, or there's this, or this friend wants to catch up to actually being proactive and going, no, I'm going to prioritize what's really important for me and my family in this moment. And I'm going to, this is going to be the story that I'm going to write. I'm going to actively be kind of living in the moment, writing my story Mm. in the moment. Um, Is that what you mean when you say that we get to write our own story? I think it is, but I also need to recognise that I'm saying that as a white middle-class woman with the privilege of that. Um, And that was very, very, I was very, very aware of that when I was making those decisions to travel and also writing the book. Um, But I also believe that with that privilege comes a responsibility to make choices that bring about change. Um, And I think part of the reason, well, I know that part of the reason why we did decide to travel was to prove to our children that they didn't need a lot to live well. Um, And our, our children are growing up in a generation where they've got immediate access to so much to you know, it's just they live an incredibly abundant life, but then they've also got this threat of the climate crisis. And so it felt like my responsibility as a parent to take them away from a school that was in quite an affluent area, even though it was in a public school where international holidays were the norm and, you know, every child had an iPad um, at home and, and extracurricular activities kind of were a symbol of success and I just wanted to take them away from that and just let them play freely and I we you know we never traveled to tick places off the list it wasn't a bucket list trip it was just an opportunity to spend some really quality time with our children without obligations or plans or school bells or diaries full of appointments um and, and that was a lesson for me as well. I really craved the boundaries of living in a small space. And, you know, I talk about it, it was a new level of less. It was a new level of simplicity to live like that where we had to really consider the weight and the size of the purpose of everything that we carried with us. Um, so, you know, there were so many, there were so many factors, but, also, it was recognizing that yes, I have every right to, and every opportunity to write my own story, and I should really, really be grateful for that, and also grab it by the horns and run with it. You know, um, I wasn't going to let it pass me by. Yeah, and it's like I guess that kind of idea of if not now, when 
you know, like we can yes. so yeah. often put things off and um, our dreams and however simple, you know, they, they might be, you know, like it, for somebody, it could be to write a book, you know, and, and that's not, I mean, of course, I completely agree with what you say about privilege, um, but, you know, a, a notebook and a pencil, you know, like th that might be somebody's dream within them. And I think it can be so easy, no matter where we're at, to kind of make excuses for ourselves. And I always mm. remember reading the words of Viktor Frankl and, you know, he was in a um, prisoner of war camp in Germany and had, you know, lost all his family and had had everything stripped away from him. And he said, the one thing, you know, that they can't take away is my my freedom to choose, the, my freedom to choose Ooh. what I think and what I believe. And, you know, and even that's believing in yourself, you know, that is a choice, isn't it? Um, and um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's so, it sounds so simple and yet it's so hard to do sometimes, you know, to sort of, to really listen to yourself and what you want and, and kind of have that freedom to believe in yourself and believe in your dreams and what's important to you. Um, and it's about perspective and priorities. And I talk a lot about perspective in the book because when, you know, we ended up spending so much time in nature because when you live in a small space, you just naturally gravitate outside. And in nature, you know, regardless of whether we were deep in the desert or on the coast, there was perspective there. And all those small worries that I had and those small distractions as well, and it's those small everyday distractions that really do accumulate to pull us away from from a path that really we really want to be on um they just helped me make sense of what was important um and there's many many different moments when i was outside witnessing you know mermations of starlings or the sunset at uluru or just watching my kids run towards the waves at a beach in a small you know seaside town they were just all moments that I was so grateful to be there witnessing and just helped me, they just helped me realise what really does matter and what's important to me and that I get to choose what I prioritise. Um, and it, it's interesting that you say, you know, about the pencil and the notebook because six months before I started writing this book, and I think I spoke about this, I touched on this in our first interview, is that I realised that I'd lost the ability to write long form because I've just been writing captions for Instagram. And so I just made myself hand write pages, like three to five pages a day. And sometimes I had, I had no idea what I was going to write when I sat down, but I just wrote. Um, and it was just that, um, you know, those daily habits do accumulate to become so much bigger and that's why I say in the book, start where you are with what you have. Grand, grand change doesn't come because of some big decisions that come from the small choices that we make each day. Yeah, and on that note, I think I, I was really fascinated as well that, um, you know, obviously you set out on this trip and I'm kind of curious about what your hopes were at the start of the journey. I mean, you said a little bit about with your children and what you hoped for them to get out of it. But perhaps, you know, that you didn't want to, you had this opportunity and you didn't want to let it go. But what were you actually hoping for with this trip? And and how did it turn out in terms of what you were expecting? So I'm really kind of interested in that idea. And then also um, that you found 
happiness and maybe this is the answer I don't know but you know you talk about finding happiness in a field in Mole Creek like out of all the places you know that when people talk about doing a trip around Australia and you know you think <laughs> about the Great Barrier Reef and Uluru and all of these things and, and you say that just standing in that field was your kind of moment of, of finding happiness but maybe you can just start with like what were actually your hopes or what do you think you were expecting out of this trip and and was it different at the end of you know, what you thought it would be? It's, that's a really good question because I, I actually didn't have many hopes and I didn't know what to expect because we'd never caravaned or camped before, which is hilarious. Um, but I think I just wanted to get to that other side because the preparation was so big and so arduous and I talk about that in the book in Chapter 3, just what that process was like to pack up the house and, and actually get on the road and I think mostly I was just hoping for time without rushing an obligation I really felt the pressure of obligation at that point in my life before we left of just having to be in so many different places and to always feel like I was just chasing and I was just trying to play catch up and it wasn't good for me like my physical body I was just always in a state of overwhelm and anxiety um, it wasn't good for me as a mother. I was, you know, screaming to get kids out the door every morning um, and I'd just collapse into bed at night, exhausted, having really, you know, just felt like I was just on this treadmill. Um, and so I just hoped for a little bit of breathing space is really what I hoped for. But what I didn't ever anticipate was the fact that by spending so much time in nature, often barefoot, I, I got grounded and, and nature became a, a salve for my anxiety and overwhelm in a way that nothing else ever has. And I, I really deeply understand now the contentment and the, and the joy of living with few obligations and few plans and few distractions and, and being able to find that comfort and that connection in the ocean or on a on a bush track or just on a grassy field in a park under a gum tree and all those places can be found regardless of where you live and you know countless studies have been done across the world about the fact that nature is incredibly beneficial for our mental and physical and emotional health um, I'd read those studies before I left, but I never, ever anticipated that it would have such a profound effect on me. And there was one day, like I used to be someone that really cowed from the wind. I would get very agitated in windy situations, I'd get very anxious and headachey. Um, and I realised there was one day at Uluru where it was really dusty and dry and windy and I just realised that my feet were planted really firmly on the ground and I was not bothered by the wind. And if anything, I was just letting it whip around me and, and it just wasn't affecting me in the way that it used to. And, and it was because I was actually physically grounded. I wasn't just all up in my head with all my worries and concerns and plans and obligations and all that kind of stuff. I was actually very aware and conscious of myself on the earth in the situation I was in. Um, and I've still got that. I, I just, 
I don't, I'm sure age has plays a part as well. I'm in my late 30s now, so I think, you know, as you grow older, you you find your ground more, you're more certain of yourself and you're um, more confident in your ideals and your beliefs. But, yeah, it's still with me. And, and when I do find myself getting back into that anxious or overwhelmed headspace, because I am grounded, I'm very, I can recognise what's happening so I can recognise when my breath's a bit short, when my shoulders are, um, are, t- are tight, when my jaw's clenched, when I find my, my thoughts are racing and they're not really, um, there's no coherency to them. And because I am grounded, I could recognise those and I can bring myself back from them by going down to the going down to the beach to collect sea glass or going for a swim or going for a walk or just stepping into the backyard with my feet on the grass. Just all those little things I've learned that are actually really powerful. I've just unclenched my jaw. It's amazing, isn't it? Like how yeah. well, so many of those things though we do and we just don't even realise that we're doing them. You know, it's... Mm. Um, yeah, it's 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 so important to kind of be connected to yourself and your body and, and recognize what's going on in that sense. Um, so I guess what, I think one of the things that many people might be might be wondering and, and thinking is that obviously, you know, it's easy to well, it seems easy anyway, to kind of um, to sort of find this level of simplicity in your life when when you are in a caravan and you're on the road and, and I know you've, as you've just said, like, you know, people can live in a city and can go to, you know, there's lots of beautiful parks and cities or lots of areas. I mean, you know, I've lived in also, like, I mean, even when I was in inner city, Sydney, I went to Sydney university, which was like two streets away and they've got beautiful gardens and parks in the university. And I would go there and I used to love kind of walking through there, you know, so there's always somewhere that you can find even when you're like right in the heart of a city. Um, but how, how do you think that people can um, achieve simplicity in their lives when, when there are the, particularly like when there's big things, like, you know, you, we spoke last time about decluttering and you talk about it in your book in terms of like this big process to go through, like a mammoth task. Mm. And even writing a book in some ways is a bit of a mammoth task. And, you know, sometimes life throws lots of challenges at us and throws things at us. So how how can we kind of find simplicity in those moments? Or do we just have to go with the ebb and flow of life? I'm just wondering about, you know, how do you strike that balance between like the demands on your time, but also embracing simplicity? I use simplicity as I said before, it's an attitude and a mindset. And when I feel myself walking a bit too far from the path, when I feel that I'm overwhelmed and anxious, I come back to the simple choices that I can make every day that I know will benefit me and my family. And and one thing I often ask myself is, is this sustainable for me? Um, And I think, as I say in the book, Simplicity ebbs and flows with the demands of life. So one night it might like it might look like ordering takeaway because mentally you just cannot do the dinner and the dishes. 
and then that's the most sustainable option for you. And the next night it might be using up every sad-looking vegetable in the fridge because you know that simplicity for you on that day is not going to the shops to buy things that you don't need and it's using up the food that you already have and by doing so you're being conscious of food waste and the greater environmental um, consequences of that. So it is about really small decisions, I think, and and for me that's sometimes saying no to social obligation because I'm exhausted and I know that what I really need is an early night in bed with a book. Um, it's drinking enough water. <laughs> it's realising that society deems success as being incredibly productive and hence we live in a culture where we're encouraged to hustle and drive and compete and strive for so many different things, most of which, you know, are questionable in that do we really need them. Um, It's creating breathing space in your week. So if you look at your diary and it's absolutely full and on a Monday or even on a Sunday evening you're just dreading what that week looks like, are you in control of that? Can you, like, create those spaces in your day, in your week so that you – there's breathing space there so that it is simplified. Um, And I think a very practical way for me to practice simplicity is weighing up the time I spend working for the things that I do or don't want or need. So when it comes to purchasing new things, um, and we live in a house now, we've just bought our first house, and we consciously chose to live in an area where we could have a small mortgage so we, didn't, we don't have to work just to live. Um, and that doesn't come without sacrifice. We're away from family. I haven't seen my parents in a year. Um, so, you know, the decisions we make aren't without sacrifice. But when it comes to practising simplicity and decluttering and living with less, I think what's really pertinent is that, is that, being conscious of what you then consume. And so when I do, when it does come time to buy something, I'm like, okay, this is $100. How long did I have to work to buy this? Do I really need it? It's a thought process. And I don't think we can have those thought processes if our lives are so busy and we're so distracted. And so by creating that breathing space in our week, by saying no to obligations, saying no to plans and, and recognising that they're really sustainable choices for us, we create those opportunities to simplify even further. So we create the time and the patience um, to, to look at our fridge and go, oh, I actually can create a meal out of what I've got here because I'm not frantic and rushed um, or I'm not going to make this impulsive purchase because actually I'd rather just create that time in my week instead of buying things I don't need. Um, but it's different for everyone. But I really just, it's so small choices you make every day. And I feel like it's, you know, in this day and age, perhaps we do need to be given the permission to make those choices. And it's, it comes back particularly for women and and perhaps mostly for mothers, it's that mental load and it's the permission to say no 
I think that's really important. That's how you can simplify. You can just start saying no a bit more. <laughs> yeah, no, so true. I mean, you've touched on it, but I I am completely fascinated about the fact that you are now setting up your own home. You know, you've gone from a caravan mm-hmm. to setting up your own home. And whether you have like PTSD from after decluttering your last home, and if you are in setting this one up, I know you talk a lot about going to the op shop or, or whatever, but even, I mean, I've got people, you know, within my family who sometimes, you know, yes, op shop, you know, buying something that has, has already been made and it's more sustainable in that way, but there are still people who hoard stuff from op shops, you know, like they just kind of get into that mentality of like, well, it's from an op shop and it's cheap or it's, you know, whatever, but you, mm. it's, it's that physical clutter. It's not just the, you know, the financial obligation of something or how so- much something is worth, but you can quickly accumulate a lot, even just from an op shop, mm. you know, or kind of buying yeah. things secondhand. Have you been very conscious about what you bring into your home and, and what kind of approach are you taking this time around so that perhaps you don't end up with all those boxes that never get emptied as such as we spoke about last time well we live in a small house which isn't small for us because we've lived in a caravan for so long um and we do have plans to do a little extension in the coming years but um I suppose I just know that we just don't need a lot of stuff. And I talk about that in the book in terms of the dishes in that we thrived with having one frying pan and two saucepans and a plate and a bowl for each of us in the caravan. And so I don't have all the kitchen gadgets because I know that I can just cook rice in a pot like I don't need a rice cooker. Um, And I just don't want to go back to having it a really a kitchen just full of stuff that I don't use and that it's just sitting there. And I talk in the book about even when things are sitting in cupboards and you can't see them, you can still feel the weight of them. Um, yes, we've, we've consciously um, chosen to buy furniture secondhand um, and that requires patience and that required us to not have a, a couch for six months. Um, they are choices we made. But at the same time, now that we own a house, which is like a 1950s bungalow, um, and it's gorgeous and I love it and it's made so well. It's got beautiful hardwood floors and um, it's been made with a lot of love. And so we're really trying to... Um, take care of it and to be stewards of this little house that um, that someone built in the 1950s. And so, yeah, Daniel's doing a lot of the work himself and I think that is a choice as well in that we're choosing not to get many trades in and that we're just trying to learn as we go and that it's a very slow process and it most definitely is not perfect. And I think... For me, letting go of that perfectionism in my home and just allowing myself to sit here and to be grateful for it. And, and, you know, buying this home was not easy and it's, you know, for any first-time buyer at the moment, it's incredibly, incredibly difficult and my heart goes out to 
um, anyone on that path because it, it was a very long road for us and it was very windy and I really doubted at times whether we'd get here. Um, but we did and and so just sitting in the gratitude for that has really helped me to realise that I don't want to fill it with stuff. I just want to be able to spend time in the home, um, enjoying it. And um, and it's also close close to a lot of beautiful areas um, that I can go to when I need grounding. <laughs> so they were all conscious choices and it was a very conscious choice also to live um, walking distance to a town because we really loved that um, experience when we were on the road uh, where we were parked up in a little town and we could walk everywhere and we didn't have to get in the car for a week. So um, we've made the conscious choice to, to live in a town um, and so that we can walk everywhere. Does that answer your question? I feel like I'm like mumbling. Yeah, no, 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 no. That's all good. You know, part of the, the title of your book is about living a life less distracted. What, what do you mean by that, I guess? And you touch on like social media, which we did, you know, previously. And I think that's a huge one for so many people. Um, but yeah, in, in other ways, you know, how are you trying to live a life less distracted and, and why is that important? Because I think when you are distracted, you miss all the remarkable ordinary things that are in your life already. And it's those things that I talk about so much in the book because they're the, they're the things that really matter. It's sitting around at a dinner table with your family at night to eat dinner and, and have a conversation. And it's, it's noticing the trail of ants that are, are running and are walking along the pavement that your two-year-old may notice but you'll just walk on by. Um, it's having the time to stop and talk to the elderly woman down the street that's in her front yard pruning her roses and learning that she lived in this street for 40 years and she knows most of the people that live here now and she's got some stories to tell and she can share some seedlings with you. It's all those beautiful little moments of joy that you do miss if you rush through life distractedly, if you're always kind of thinking about what you need to get to next. And um, that's how I practice it. I practice it in the, the fact that we have chosen to live in a place where I can walk to the shops and the library and the school and that I don't have to get in the car to do that and so that I'm spending more time walking and, and noticing those beautiful things that are surrounding me um and I know that when I get into bed every night if I have been really distracted that day I find it a little bit harder to wind down I'm more anxious and overwhelmed um I'm less grounded and um it's the, the things I'm grateful for don't come as easily to me whereas if I if I'm really conscious of what I'm doing and, you know, none of us are, li- I definitely am not like this 100% present person picking up on all the joy and the glorious um, tiny happenings in my life all the time. Far from it. But I know how important that stuff is to me and I know that it has an incredibly profound effect on my mindset and um, my happiness. And how do you set boundaries with yourself now around social media if you do at all like do you particularly you know you're promoting a book and again like you know so many people who who listen um have got creative businesses and you know you 
you do need to kind of walk that line a little bit. So what are, what helps you? I actually follow a lot of writers and gardeners on Instagram that encourage me to get off my phone and go and do the writing and the gardening. So I very consciously curated who I follow on social media so that they do encourage me to actually get off the phone and go out and and do the things instead of scrolling. Um, I also just have a little thing on my phone that like come 9pm it turns black and so it's harder to read and I go, oh, and, and then I, I turn it, you know, I put it away. Um, I also know how much better I sleep if I spend the half an hour to the hour before um, I go to sleep reading a book and sipping tea instead of um, looking at my phone or my laptop screen. All those little things I know, sometimes I work with them and sometimes I don't. And in the past two months, with quite a, a robust publicity schedule, it's been very, um, it's been very difficult to actually step away um, because, of course, I, I want this book to get into the hands of readers, and um, you know, I want people to enjoy it. And as as a businesswoman, a creative, I, I want to sell books too, um, and so there is that element of it. Um, but I also know that. I miss conversations with my children um, and I miss them telling me about school and I miss them showing me the drawings that they've just done if I am on my phone. So um, that that's never a good feeling and I don't want to have that feeling often. So I just make sure that there is a time and a place for it. Normally at the end of one of these interviews, you know, I have a series of questions and we've kind of gone through that last time, but some of them might have changed. So I thought I'd ask a few of them with you. Um, what dream do you still want to fulfill? I've got two ideas for two more books in my mind. They are very, very premature, but um they're there and I would really love to see them come to fruition. Very exciting. And what are you reading now? I'm reading Cleopatra and Frankenstein by Coco Malors, which is a new um, fiction novel that I got from my much-loved book subscription service, Well Read. I think I might have mentioned them in the last interview, but um, Laura, the curates these monthly subscriptions she just has she's so well read um hence the name of the company and she I just they're books that perhaps I wouldn't have picked up but this Coco and Frankenstein the dialogue that opens the book is just so intriguing and it's so well written and I know me personally I find it very hard to write dialogue and so I'm always in awe of people that do it really well. Um, and I think it's a little bit Sorrow and Bliss by Meg Mason. It's got a little bit of Sally Rooney, which, you know, there's the hype around that whole Rooney, uh, Rooney um, kind of style of literature. And, yeah, it's just um, I've been in a bit of a reading rut, I think, because I've just been so distracted <laughs> publicity for my book so I'm reading um I'm reading about Coco and Frank's world and yeah it's got me in yeah it's you 
um, you say in the book, um, <laughs> I mean, obviously people just have to get it because we're referencing it so much. <laughs> but, um, but it really resonated with me because I was really struggling for a long, long time to read read fiction. And I had, um, I mean, I've got an English literature degree for goodness sake, you know, like, I mean, I used to read a phenomenal amount of books and books were always something that I loved dearly. And, and I truly, truly believe that being, you know, the hyperconnectivity of phones and text messages and social media really did rewire my brain. And I had Mm. to really struggle to get through books. And, and for most part, I sort of ended up reading a lot of nonfiction because I found that much easier to read than, than fiction. I just couldn't get into fiction. But over these past um, summer holidays, I, I finally managed to get into it because I had like a, basically a two month break from my phone. And, and I really think that I've managed to rewire my brain. And it's, it's such a joy to, to read books again. And I just think there's something about them that you just can't get from from other things. And I think it just takes you outside of your own ego and your own head and your own world. And yeah, I, I'm really and excited. And it's a tactile experience as well because, you know, you're holding the book and you're turning those paper pages. Um, and, and that is grounding in itself because you're having to actually hold this book. And that's why I haven't gone with Kindles because I don't want to look at another screen. I want that experience of paper um, paper pages and font and, you know, I, I want to be able to read the dedication and the acknowledgements. And that's really important to me as a writer as well because I'm, I'm – so in awe of the amount of people that have gone through the writing process and produced books and particularly fiction books because that it's a whole different experience you're creating your own world and yeah I just I'm in awe of writers generally and I just have so much respect for people that have that tenacity to continue on writing and to to get to the point where their book is on a shelf in a bookstore and it's just joy. I I just, I love books so much and I am not, don't have any intention of simplifying my bookshelf. (laughs) (laughs) I I wonder actually that did make me think because obviously, you know, you're, you're thinking already you've got some ideas from some other books and um, you know, you, obviously would have been kind of in some ways tethered to your camera a little bit while you were on your um, caravan journey, just knowing that, you know, documenting this special, special time in your life and also, you know, maybe having the idea that it could turn into a book. So making sure that you did document it. Do you still pick up your camera or do you feel like you're more in your kind of book writing phase of your life? Where are you at with that? Yeah, it's really interesting. So the second book that I've just finished the manuscript for doesn't require any photos at all. And so I was very much in my writing space Um, and I feel like I'm I'm so deep in my writing space now more than I've ever been in my career, which is really, it really buoys me. But I still pick up the camera because documenting my children's childhood is really important and I'm really, and you'll you'll notice this throughout the book in my photos, that I'm really inspired by light. So if the light is particularly 
amazing or yellow or it's hitting the wall in a particular space, I'll always photograph it. So it's still there. You've still got that kind of... It's still there. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. definitely. Um, So another question that I wanted to ask you, which which I often ask, is what are you listening to? So last time you shared some of the podcasts. I don't know if you're still listening to podcasts or um, any music. could be radio. (laughs) What are you listening to at the moment? Um, I'm just listening... So in the car, I just always listen to ABC radio because I hear things that I wouldn't otherwise. And um, the other day there was a war correspondent in Ukraine and I think it's a, it's really important to listen to that those first-hand accounts because um, I did a degree in journalism and I always... I'm so intrigued by the kind of person that puts their hand up and says, I'm going to be a war correspondent. Um, and I noticed that there's a female journalist from ABC that's actually on the ground there at the moment. And um, and then on ABC that went into a whole discussion about um, female war correspondents and how there's so many more of them um, now than ever. Um, and it made me think about females and journalism and, and how that journalism degree has changed. So, that was a major tangent, but <laughs> that's what I listen to in the car. Is that Radio National or is that like local ABC radio? It's local ABC, but then um, I often flick to Radio National as well. And to be honest, I've done quite a few interviews for the book with ABC journalists in Adelaide and Darwin and, um, and Brisbane and very, very... Um, very, very intrigued by the questions they ask. It's been really interesting. Um, so, yeah, I love my ABC. <laughs> there's, the, there's the crux of it. But I, at home, um, I just because I have a 10-year-old daughter, um, I'm listening to a lot of poppy music that is like gets us all dancing and then I've got a 14 year old son who is very very into his music and he's learning piano and guitar so I'm listening to all that and sometimes what I really want to listen to is silence <laughs> um but in terms of podcasts I love um low tox life um Alex actually wrote the endorsement quote for the cover of my book and so I'm listening to that um the second book I've just finished is with um, Sophie Walker from Australian Birth Stories. Um, So that gives you an idea of what the book will be. I can't say much more about it, but um, I listen to a lot of birth and mothering podcasts. So, um, yeah, but apart from that, I don't feel like I always have to have something in my ears because I feel like sometimes that inhibits the thoughts and sometimes it's a distraction from being grounded. So. Yeah, I definitely crave quiet and silence. And one of my absolutely favourite things, which is rare but beautiful, is being in my home alone and not having anything playing. <laughs> I just love that. Do you love being home I, alone? I, could, I can relate so much. I mean, I just love having silence when I drive sometimes. Like it's just yeah. to be in the car and have nobody talking or asking you really yeah. questions or squabbling or whatever it's beautiful um now I have to ask I I mean you've obviously touched on a little bit you know that you've been working on this other book you've got a couple of other ideas gestating um 
But what what is next for you? I mean, you're you're in Tasmania now. You've got a home, so it sounds like you're fairly grounded there, as it were. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. What what is you know like? I'm not saying that you give me your five year plan, but like, <laughs> and I know you probably don't have one, but um, yeah, like, how do you like? What are you working on next? You, will you go straight into trying to work out some of these other book ideas? after you finish this one or is there anything else on the horizon? So the book I just finished is actually quite big and so we've got um, quite a massive editing process ahead of us um, to get it right Um, and so that's going to take me till about July or August. So um, I'm, I'm so proud of this book that's coming out. It'll be out in February next year. Sophie and I have worked tirelessly on it for um, about 10 months now. So it's it's a really long process, but um, it's a book we are so proud of and we have an incredible, I feel, uh, I know it's, you know, it's a pregnancy and birth book and I know that I have, I feel a responsibility to the women that are going to be reading it and and their support people so very proud of that um that's going to take me for the you know till winter and I just actually want some breathing space away from a big project because I know that's really important um for my creativity because I think when you get to the other side of a project there's there's a very real exhaustion there, a creative exhaustion where you just can't possibly even think about diving back into those long days at the desk. Um, and so I think that's where I'll, you know, for the August till the end of the year, I'll just really allow that that time to um, to be breathing and thinking space or I maybe start making um, notes. I've already written the first um <laughs> the first opening page of this <laughs> this book that I've got an idea for, which um, I'm not even going to say anything about, but it excites me and it's quite, um, yeah, it's very, well, it's fiction, but and I've never read fiction before. So I imagine that over the next few years I might actually do some fiction writing workshops. Actually, there's a brilliant writing podcast called One Time by Kate Mildenhall and oh, I've forgotten her name. That's so disrespectful. We, we will. Look um, but, yeah. yeah, but they're fiction writers and um, and they um, they share some really great interviews with other mm-hmm. writers and they're Australian based. Um, and in terms of actually newsletters, Bree Lee's newsletter is amazing. Do you read? That's called News and Reviews. So she, Bree Lee is that amazing writer of egg shell skull and um who gets to be smart and she's just so well read and she's incredibly intelligent but she's also it's like she does the legwork for all the stuff that I want to be reading but can't find and she brings it all together in this newsletter every week and I'm so grateful to her she's in her early 30s she doesn't have children She's very, very engaged in a lot of areas of um, the Australian writing sphere and the Australian social justice sphere. So she brings all of that together and just, oh, I'm just really grateful every week when it lands in my inbox because I just, um, 
I, I just, it's stuff I want to be reading, but I don't have the time to find. Yeah. Oh, great. I have to look yeah. it up. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I can completely relate to, to sort of needing that headspace. And I think that is literally why I had two months off pretty much over summer because I was working on two books last year and with all the, which involved photo shoots as well. And with all of the lockdowns and the, this mm. and the, that and the stop and the start, it was just, it was so mentally exhausting. And that's why I had to put the podcast on pause because I just couldn't, if I'm doing something, I need to give it my full attention. And, um, yeah. and I think it is important to just kind of have that time where you just like get back to yourself, you know, your natural rhythms. And, um, and yeah, I, I can completely relate to that. And also I take complete solace. One of the books that I did read, cause it, you know, obviously everybody in the world has read it, which is like where the core dad sing. Cause I was like, okay, I've got to read this book cause everyone's reading it. But I was so inspired the fact that she was 69 when she wrote her first novel. I know, I, I mean, know. How amazing is that? So that's it's so amazing. It's about that. to be, yeah, it's about to be made into a movie as well. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I, I always wanted to write a novel and then I sort of had to put that, that little dream or idea on the shelf. Cause I think it just wasn't, you know, I think it's important to recognize within yourself that sometimes something is not right for you at a particular point in time. And mm. I don't know if I will, but I, I mean, that little curtain now I'm reading more, that little kernel is kind of sort of gestating as well a little bit, but mm. I mean, I still don't feel like it. I'm right for it. You know, I think you've got to be in a particular headspace, but it is so inspiring when you hear stories of that people who later on in life can do those things. And, um, and I think it's really important to note that a lot of novels, they take five to 10 years to get written. They're not, you know, it's not like a quick turnaround, like yeah. a nonfiction book often is. Um, and so, you know, these writers, these writers live alongside their characters for a really long time. And I think that's incredible, incredibly beautiful. Mm. Well, I'm very looking, much looking forward to seeing what, what you do come up with and following your journey. Uh, and, um, <laughs> Maybe five I, to ten year plan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that, that is the five year plan. Don't accept it's not coming yeah. out in the next year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but it's always so delightful to talk to you and, um, Whenever I speak to you, I just, I always come away feeling so calm and like, it's just such a beautiful feeling. And I think that your book really gives people that experience as well of really connecting to themselves and, and what's important and, and not being in such a rush or not being so distracted or, you know, kind of putting all the noise of the world into your own head, but helping you find, you know, the voice within you. So um, I highly encourage everybody to, um, to read the book, whether it's at your local library or grab a copy. And, um, I really appreciate you taking the time to, to come and share more about it with us today. Oh, thanks for having me, Adelia. It's loved talking to you. Thank you. All of the links and info for this episode are at nataliewalton.com forward slash podcast. Thank you to Jaeger Media for producing this podcast, and I would like to acknowledge the people of the Bundjalung Nation where it was recorded, and pay my respects to Elders past, present, and emerging. I look forward to connecting again soon. I'm Natalie Walton, and you've been listening to Imprint.